Every year, our family celebrates a Passover Seder. It's a wonderful, elaborate liturgy and meal in which we enter into the Exodus story and God's salvation for the Jewish people. And because we're a Christian family, we also meditate on how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Passover. Since Passover is couched in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, typically observant Jewish families will scour the house for any remnants of leaven or yeast, a loaf of bread, a random donut, even crumbs that collect around the toaster. Leaven represents sin, and so they and others in the community will take the leaven into a designated area and burn it so as to prepare their homes for Passover. Being a Gentile family, we cut some corners in this process. Typically, what I tend to do is prior to celebrating Passover, I'll take some pieces of bread and hide it around the house. And at the start of the Seder, I'll have the kids go look for it. It's especially a lot of fun when we celebrate Passover with a larger group with a lot of children. It becomes sort of like an Easter egg hunt. When the kids find the bread, we'll do something like throw it outside or throw it in the garbage. And this part of Passover, the ridding of the leaven, is an integral part of entering into the Passover feast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. If you're new to this podcast, I spent 39 years in various Protestant circles. I was a Baptist slash evangelical pastor for 11 years. I co-founded a ministry called Christianity is Jewish, and at the age of 41, I came home to the Catholic Church. If you've been following along with this podcast, you know that we've been focusing on the seven sacraments. We've already covered the sacraments of initiation, which are baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. In this episode, we're diving into the sacraments of healing, beginning with reconciliation or confession. We'll spend a few episodes on the sacrament of reconciliation before going into the sacrament of anointing the sick. And then we'll wrap up our episodes of the sacraments with the sacraments of service, which consist of marriage and holy orders. When we start a series on a new sacrament, I begin by talking about its Jewish origin. Christianity's roots, after all, are Jewish, and so I find it helpful to dive into the context to better understand our practices. Today, as we talk about the Jewish roots of reconciliation, I'm going to focus on four concepts or themes. Number one, God has created us for community. Number two, God has created us for freedom. Number three, sin enslaves us and our community. And number four, God uses community to free us from sin. So just to recap, God has created us for community. God has created us for freedom. Sin enslaves us in our community and God uses community to free us from sin. We see this concept illustrated in the first Passover. God instructed the Hebrews to celebrate it as a community. They were all to take lambs that were year-old males without blemish, slaughter it, and roast it. If the household was too small to eat an entire lamb, they were to share it with their neighbors. They were also instructed not to eat leavened bread for seven days. Why? For a number of reasons. First, it emphasized this need to leave Egypt in haste. They left in a hurry and didn't have time for their dough to rise. Secondly, it's an object lesson. God wanted to teach his people about sin, and he used leaven or yeast to do so. Leaven represents sin. And just as a little yeast will cause bread to rise, so even a little sin will cause big problems. The whole theme of Passover is freedom. God freed his people from slavery under the oppression of the Egyptians. On Passover, it's customary to recline and feast because reclining and feasting is a sign of freedom. But before one can properly celebrate Passover, they need to rid their house of leaven. If you're familiar with the Catholic Mass, you know that every Mass begins with the Pentatential Act, which is a corporate confession of sin. Together we say, quote, 
I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned through my thoughts and my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. End quote. We cannot properly feast in the Mass, which is an adaptation of the Passover Seder, while we are still weighed down with sin. Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians 5-7, saying, quote, Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast, so that you may be a new batch, as you really are unleavened. For our paschal lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. End quote. Later in 1 Corinthians 11.28, he instructs us to, quote, Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. End quote. In order to be truly free, we must be unshackled, not just by human chains, but also the chains of slavery to sin. Now, I want to tell you another story that takes place in the book of Joshua that really hits on those four themes of this episode. God created us for community. God created us for freedom. Sin enslaves us and our community, and God uses community to free us from sin. This story takes place in Joshua chapter 6, and it's the story of Achan's sin. Forty years had passed since the Hebrews, also known as the Jewish people or the Israelites, left slavery in the land of Egypt. They had been wandering around the wilderness, and God finally brought them into the promised land, the land of Canaan. At last, they had a place to call home. But first, they needed to conquer the land. It's not like the various tribes in the region were just going to let the Israelites encroach on their territory. One of the biggest obstacles between them and their inheritance was the walled city of Jericho. You might be familiar with this story. Joshua led the Israelites in walking around the city once each day. And on the seventh day, they walked around the city seven times and then blew their trumpets. And the walls surrounding Jericho came tumbling down, leading the Israelites to easily capture the city. The Israelites had been given strict instructions not to loot, but if there was anything of value, they were to put it in the Lord's treasury. One man by the name of Achan decided he would keep some spoils for himself. After all, it's no big deal, right? And who would ever find out? Seeing how God had delivered Jericho into their hands, the Israelites felt their largest obstacle was behind them. Next came the lesser fortified people of Ai. They sent in a smaller force, 3,000 Israelites into battle. But instead of an easy victory, they were routed by the people of Ai, who killed 36 Israelites. The Israelites' hearts sank. Their leader Joshua groveled to God, How could you let this happen? But God knew something Joshua didn't. He knew Achan had taken some of the spoils of war, deliberately disobeying orders. Their loss at Ai was due to Achan's sin. One person's sin had caused the entire army to lose and cost 36 men their lives. Listen to what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. Quote, the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been liable to destruction. 
I will not be with you any more unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. End quote. God then gave Joshua specific instructions on how to determine the guilty party. The next day, the Israelites separated into their 12 tribes. Then God pointed out the offending tribe. Then each clan in the tribe came forward. God pointed out the offending clan. Then each family came forward until God pointed out the offending family. Guess who was left standing there? That's right, Achan and his family. Suddenly, Achan felt the stares and judgment of all of Israel. It was his fault. His disobedience caused the death of 36 men, husbands, fathers, brothers, and sons. Let's pick up this passage beginning in verse 19. Quote, then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. End quote. So Joshua sent some people to find the loot, which they did. And that brings us to verse 24. Quote, then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. End quote. That's a tough story to stomach. It seems that the entire nation not only stoned Achan, but his family, his animals, and his possessions. I don't think this type of communal corporate punishment applies today, thanks to Jesus' crucifixion, but I do think there are some important themes that we can draw from this passage. First, God created us for community. God didn't just rescue Moses, he rescued the entire Hebrew people. When it came time to enter the promised land, God didn't just give the land to Joshua, he gave it to all of the Israelites. And all of the Israelites had to work together to take hold of their inheritance. In episode 6 called With God in Community, I mentioned how a central theme to the Bible, which we often miss in our Western world, is community. God as a triunity is a communal God. God created community in Adam and Eve. God rescued the community of Israel. Jesus ministered with a community of disciples. The Holy Spirit empowered a community at Pentecost. Don't underestimate God's design for us to be in community with his people. Secondly, God created us for freedom. If we were to survey the Old Testament and pinpoint a broad theme, it would be the Jewish people's struggle for freedom. The Exodus story begins this quest for freedom, this escape out of Egypt. In Joshua, they finally enter the promised land, but they have to conquer it first. The next book, the book of Judges, is a series of stories about the Israelites struggling under oppression and their quest for freedom. 
But the reason that they struggle to maintain freedom is this third theme that I want to focus on, the enslavement of sin. It seems like there's this endless cycle in the Old Testament, especially evident in the book of Judges. Israel is deep in sin. God punishes them through oppression. Israel cries out to God for help. God brings a leader to rescue them. The leader leads Israel into victory and freedom. Things are good for a short time, and then Israel falls back into sin, and the cycle repeats itself. Sin is systemic and communal. It is a yeast that seeps into the entire dough. I think we like to think that our sins are private and only affect us. As long as no one knows, as long as it isn't this big scandal, then it's no big deal. We think we can be like Achan and hide our sins under our tent. However, notice what God said to Joshua about Achan's sin. He didn't say Achan or one person had sinned. He said Israel had sinned. When one person sinned, all of Israel faced the consequences. Now, God didn't have to do it that way, but he chose to. And I think he chose to specifically as an important object lesson in Israel's infancy. It's almost like he's saying, hey, welcome to your new home. By the way, you're still a community and I'm going to treat you like a community. Notice also how God reveals the offender. He could have just told Joshua, Achan's the guilty one, but instead he has Joshua go through this elaborate process of elimination, tribe, then clan, then family, and I like to call this circles of accountability. I imagine what God was doing here was pointing out the groups that were supposed to hold Achan accountable. First, his family. He brought those items into his tent. It's likely his family knew about them. His clans needed to hold Achan accountable. His sin made them look bad. Then you have the tribes. A little further in Israel's history, the land of Canaan is divided into tribal territories. And so the tribes acted like provinces or states. And I think the object lesson here is that they needed to quickly figure out how each tribe was going to enforce God's law. Not only did sin affect the community, but also the remedy was communal as well. In this case, the entire Jewish people stoned Achan and all of his family and possessions. The point is this, and I'll repeat this as we talk about the sacrament of reconciliation. When we sin, we short God, we short ourselves, and all that God has created us to be. We short the person or people that we've done wrong to, and we short our entire community. And so in order to be reconciled, we really need to be reconciled with all four of those groups. God, ourselves, the person or people we sinned against, and the community that we belong to. In Leviticus 16, we read about the process of communal reconciliation which occurred on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The high priest took two goats. One of the goats was slaughtered and was a burnt offering to atone for the sins of all of Israel. The live goat was chosen to be the scapegoat. The high priest would lay his hands on the animal, confess all of Israel's sins, and then let the goat go free. Furthermore, Leviticus 4 outlines the process of sin offerings. Basically, the community was required to sacrifice an animal when an act of sin became known, and that sacrifice was costly and it required help from the community. To make a proper sacrifice, it had to be a specific animal, and it wasn't a private affair. The person couldn't just go in his backyard and make it a private sacrifice. They had to bring the animal to the priest who would sacrifice it on their behalf. The point that God is making here is that our sins aren't just private affairs. They affect the entire community. So therefore, there has to be a communal effort in the process of reconciliation. On one hand, that can seem embarrassing. We don't want the community involved in our personal sins because our sins cause shame. We see that in the story of the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God and hid their bodies from each other because they were ashamed. 
However, if we look at it in a different way, we can see the gentle beauty in this as well. God doesn't want us to bear our sins alone. He gives us community to help us in the process of reconciliation. When I think about how the Jewish people prepare for Passover, I think it's a really beautiful thing that can bring us joy in our corporate and communal acts of reconciliation. To prepare for Passover, the Jewish people bring out their leavened bread and yeast. It might be all sorts of junk food, donuts, cookies, sugary cereal, and it could be cause for embarrassment. Someone might feel guilty and uneasy about exposing the glutinous garbage that they keep in their pantry. But the preparation of Passover is not about embarrassing anyone. It's about the community creating a time and space to burn their leaven together and to prepare themselves as a community to celebrate the Passover feast and their freedom in the life of God. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode and other pertinent information in your email inbox. Go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would greatly appreciate it if you leave me a review. There are some really touching reviews that listeners have posted in. And man, I'm just blessed by those words of encouragement. If you'd be so kind to rate this podcast and leave a review, that helps others find it as well. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and draw you closer to him. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic.